Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Nicomachean Ethics Book 10, Aristotle is going to tell us that some pleasures are in fact bad pleasures for us and other pleasures are good pleasures. Now, how is he going to get to that point, particularly given the fact that he has at numerous points said that pleasure itself is something good? How can there then be bad pleasures? There are several ways to approach this, and Aristotle is not going to take one way that I just want to lay out, because otherwise people might think that he'd forgotten about this or he's not, you know, taking this into consideration. Hedonist philosophers, that is philosophers who think that the good, the fundamental good, just is pleasure and the fundamental evil pain, will often say the way that we can declare some pleasures to be bad, bad for us, is that we see that they will preclude other pleasures, they're not compatible with other greater pleasures, or they can bring about pain along with that, and so they're kind of mixed and the balance of pleasure over pain is not particularly positive. Aristotle does not take that line of inquiry. Instead, he begins from pointing out the fact that pleasures do differ from each other, and he's going to think about this in terms of pleasures as being connected with and coming out of, and in a certain sense, perfecting activities, rather than just merely being stimulus response that we get from you know, having certain senses or other faculties stimulated. So Aristotle is going to tell us that some pleasures are better in some ways than others. He says that pleasures differ in kind from each other. The term that we're using there in kind, sometimes is translated in quality, is eidos. And eidos means something like species or kind or type. So some pleasures, you know, we do think are better than others. And that's why we pursue them more ardently or more consistently than others. And this may vary from person to person, but you can take this general idea that they don't think that all pleasures are equal. I mean, if you want uh, sort of evidence of this in a very commonsensical way, go into any store or any restaurant where there are choices for a person and see whether that person is able to actually make a choice. By make a choice, I don't mean putting your finger, you know, at random on some spot and saying, I'll have that entree, or walking down a line of CDs in places that still sell CDs and just picking one out. I mean saying, I want this rather than all the other alternatives or opportunities that are available to me. The fact that people can is a sign that, unless there's some other weird factor intervening, like you know, people saying, I'm this nationality, so I must eat this kind of food, or I have a religious obligation to eat this, this particular dish on this day, or something like that. It's a sign that people do, in fact, think that pleasures vary in not only kind, but vary in what we could say value. Some are better than others. So, Aristotle talks about this in terms of activities. He says that activities have different modes of perfection. There's different ways in which the activity is brought to its fulfillment. And when we're talking about perfection of the activity, we mean something like sight, the activity of seeing, seeing its object, like you're seeing me right now, or hearing, hearing what's being said. Mind, understanding what's being said, or the significance of what's on the board, thinking about things. 
So various activities, various faculties have different modes of perfection and pleasure, as he's told us earlier, comes out of the perfection of the activity. He actually says pleasure perfects the activity. And how does it do so? It does so in a way that's different than the object of, say, of sight or the, the faculty itself, the ability to see or perhaps the organs that we use for that. And it does so differently than, say, a habit would, you know, say a virtue or, or something else like that. What does it mean for it to perfect it? Aristotle says that it sort of brings it to a fulfillment. It is, as I've said before, sort of the icing on the cake that makes the cake all, all so much better, that brings the cake to a, a conclusion, makes it into a whole. So we have these different modes of, of activity, and each has its own perfection, each has its own pleasures. And Aristotle will say that the pleasures of the intellect differ from those of the senses. And the pleasures of the senses differ from each other. So the pleasure that you take in tasting is not the same pleasure as you take in hearing or in understanding. So Aristotle actually says that some senses are better than others. This is what he says in the Nicomachean Ethics. He talks about this in other places as well. He says, sight excels touch in purity and hearing and smell excel taste. So sight is really the best one altogether. And then there's hearing and smell, taste and touch are kind of at the lower end. This is very typical, I think, of an ancient Greek way of looking at things. Although not everybody, because you know, the many are the ones who are particularly interested in touch and taste, right? But the cultivated are interested in sight and hearing and to a lesser extent, smell. In any case, we could disagree about you know where these, these tastes and you know, smells ought to you know, fit in with each other. Aristotle does think that the senses differ from each other, the pleasures differ from each other, and therefore you know some are going to be better and some are going to be worse. We can also talk about activities differing from each other in what we might say strictly moral value. Some activities are appropriate and some activities are inappropriate. Some activities, going even further, are considered to be noble or beautiful. Other activities are considered to be ugly or shameful. And a person might, in fact, derive pleasure from something that is shameful, but that shamefulness is going to contaminate that pleasure to a certain extent. So Aristotle thinks that pleasures of good and noble activities are, in fact, good pleasures. Those are the things that we ought to choose. Those are the things that we ought to take into consideration in our moral deliberation, in our, our actions, in our choices. And the pleasures that are associated with bad or base activities are themselves bad. Now, insofar as they are pleasure per se, they are good, but that pleasure is coming from something bad. So it's sort of tainted or contaminated by the badness. The, the pleasure itself is pleasant, but shameful. So, you know, what would be examples of this? In our own society, gluttonous overeating would be an example of that. Lesser so in some other societies where other things may be considered to be very, very shameful pleasures. You think about, you know, the effect of the sexual revolution and the proliferation of images of the human body and sexual activity through the internet and sort of the loosening and laxness of moral standards about those matters today in comparison to say 50 years ago, and I don't mean you know necessarily about any individual person, but, but about the society, 
And there are some pleasures that people certainly do find pleasant, but, but are considered to be shameful. We still have some things that, that are considered uh, shameful in that register as well. And so, you know, you can think of all sorts of things. Taking drugs, taking things that are very pleasurable, intensely pleasurable, but often quite addictive and illegal and ruinous in, in many respects to not only moral life, but even being able to do things like hold down a job, depending on what kind of drug we're talking about. And Aristotle would go so far as to call that a bad pleasure. So it is possible for us to distinguish between these. Now, people are going to bring up a certain relativity and say, well, wait a second, aren't these standards rather arbitrary? Aristotle grapples with this issue by saying that we hold in all cases the thing really is what it appears to be to the good person, the spudaios. Spudaios could mean the virtuous person, the prudent person, the phronimos. It could also mean the person who is self-controlled, who understands what the good is, doesn't necessarily want to do it, but does make himself do it, and is able to recognize what is genuinely good, what is genuinely bad, and also what is genuinely pleasant and genuinely painful. So the good person is the measure for what is genuinely pleasurable, like he says. The good person, qua good, is the standard. So the things that it seem to him or her to be pleasures are pleasures, and the things he enjoys are pleasant. And he says, nor should it cause surprise that things disagreeable to the good person should seem pleasant to some people. Why? Mankind is liable to many corruptions and diseases, and the things in question are not really pleasant, but only pleasant to those particular persons who are in a condition to think them so. I, I suspect Aristotle would probably look at smoking tobacco like that. You know, when you first have a, a cigarette, in certain respects a pleasant experience, you know, there's the smell of the tobacco, there's that weird sensation of your lungs uh, almost collapsing in on themselves, and there's the rush that the nicotine gives you. But, you know, it, it really is an acquired experience. It takes going through, at least by my experience, quite a few cigarettes before it becomes something that you view as, as normal for you and as pleasant. It might be that you actually enjoy hanging out with other people who are smoking, and that might be where the pleasure lies. And there's a lot of things like that. So some of these are perhaps not good pleasures, according to Aristotle. He also suggests that there are some pleasures that are distinctively human pleasures. There are a lot of pleasures that we share in common with the other animals, at least the animals that have similar abilities for sensation like we do. Some of them may be pleasures of sight, you know, looking at certain things. Many of them are pleasures of touch or pleasures of taste. And they don't really share with us as far as we can tell, although you know, animal behavior may prove this entirely wrong. They don't share with us the pleasures of thought, the pleasures of using our intellects to, say, solve mathematical problems for those who actually enjoy doing that sort of stuff, learning languages. I don't necessarily even know that they share the same sort of pleasure of travel that we do, although, again, animal behaviorists might provide us with new information about this, about the rationality of at least certain animals. So Aristotle suggests that the best pleasures are the ones ones that are distinctively human because they are higher. They use the higher parts of our soul, the higher faculties, and probably involve the intellectual virtues. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. 
Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.